today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. And on today's show, Cincinnati Business Talk number 273, uh, my special guest is Dr. Tracy Willen. Tracy is a thought leader and speaker. Uh, Dr. Tracy Willen is a prominent thought leader and speaker on the impact of technology on society, work, and careers. She is a former visiting scholar at Stanford University. She's held leadership positions at Apple, HP, Cisco, and she was an adjunct professor for the Bay Area Colleges, teaching classes in business, technologies, and women's workforce topics. Dr. Wyland has authored 11 books, including her most recent book, Employed for Life, 21st Century Career Trends, Women Lead, Career Perspectives from Workplace Leaders, that was in 2013, and Society 3.0, How Technology Has Reshaped Education, Work, and Society. She's appeared on CNN, Fox, and CBS News, and the Wall Street Journal. She's also been featured in the Chicago Tribune, Forbes, the Los Angeles Times, and USA Today. She's a regular guest on radio and television shows across the U.S. as an expert contributor. Dr. Weiland was named San Francisco's Woman of the Year and honored by the San Francisco Business Times as the most influential woman in the Bay Area. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Weiland. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. I really appreciate being on your show. Good. Tracy, before we uh, get started, uh, let me uh, tell our listeners about a couple of upcoming events here at uh, Sandler Training. Uh, in about two weeks, we're going to be having a business leaders workshop uh, with a topic called the 10 questions you should ask your salespeople. This is the designed for company owners and uh, sales managers. It's going to be from 8 to 9.30 here at our training center in Erlanger, Kentucky. If you'd uh, like to attend, you can email me at mike.roth at sandler.com, or you can call the office during business hours at uh, 513-753-9400. A couple of other events that are coming up here at Sandler that people should be aware of. Uh, On Tuesday, the 22nd, we're going to have an open training in the Sandler Foundations called Why Have a System or Why Have a Selling System. And uh, coming up in December, the on December, the week of December 12th, we have two classes on how to find pain. On Tuesday, we have a foundational section. And on Thursday, the 15th, we have an advanced pain clinic. Uh, so we have, a, we have a good schedule coming up over the next uh, month or so. And uh, again, if you're, you're listening and you're not already a Sandler Lifetime Presidents Club member you, and you'd like to attend, 
give the office a call, 513-753-9400, or you can send me an email at mike.roth at sandler.com. Tracy, uh, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit more about uh, you and your company? Sure, Mike. Sure, Mike. I am actually based in Silicon Valley, but I am originally from New York City. And my role, my first career was actually in sales. I was in quota sales. And I sold advertising space for a variety of magazines. In the late 80s, I moved out to Silicon Valley with my family. Uh, I couldn't continue my sales career because I wasn't very technical. And so I joined a company called Apple Computer in manufacturing operations. And I continued that career for a number of years through Apple, Hewlett-Packard, and eventually Cisco Systems. And most of it was really overseas international operations for manufacturing systems. And then at Cisco, there was an opportunity to rejoin sales in a different way. And I joined what they call the sales overlay organization. It's brand new, and it was very exciting. And the role in our organization was really to support the sales team that was very technical with thought leadership, research studies, and expertise, sort of help them get the conversation at a higher level than, than the people they were pretty much talking to. When I left Cisco, I was invited to start another sales overlay uh, organization for another firm. And then eventually, after I built that, I had my own business about four years ago. And today, I am a public speaker. I'm a global speaker. And I talk about technology, talk about women in business. I talk about careers and, of course, leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you choose to become a speaker? So as my, my experience of being in these sales overlay organizations where we developed thought leadership and I was going to school at night, I have an MBA and a doctorate degree and was spending a lot of time at Stanford after work as a researcher, that I pulled together the research and found that, you know, I was invited to really speak a lot on it. Um, and that really helped not only the sales force team, but it helped me realize that this was an area that I could excel in. I really enjoyed doing the research, packaging it, and then delivering it in a way that people could understand it. And, um, and so when the opportunity really surfaced for me to become a speaker uh, as, a, as a way, you know, career, I embraced it because at one point I said I always wanted to have my own business, but I could never think of what to do. And then once I did this and I said, okay, I think we're on to the best kind of business for me. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point in time, you've written how many books? So I have written 11 books. And the background on that is pretty much as I, the first book came out while I was pursuing my MBA. I was working at Cisco. I was traveling to Japan weekly for manufacturing projects. And I needed a thesis, you know, basically your final project. Right. And I always observed as a female going to Japan that I am in manufacturing, in technology, that I was clearly outnumbered by men. And so, and I was always looked at it. And so my project I requested was that I would interview women on how to be successful in hand. And that became the first book, Doing Business with Japanese Men, a woman's handbook, and it became an LA bestseller on the business uh, book list. And so that's really started me down the path of continuing to write books. Mm, Okay. And uh, skipping all the way to the current, what book did you write last? So the last book is called Employed for Life. And Employed for Life was really in demand at the time because people were looking for jobs and not finding them. Uh, HR ex- 
really executives were not find needed talent, but were not able to find it. Recruiters were pounding the pavement globally for experts. And so this book was really about a 360 look at how do you find a job today in a digital economy when things are shifting so quickly through the eyes of employees who've gotten jobs, HR executives have filled the jobs, and recruiters sort of see the end-to-end result of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as a public speaker, uh, would you say it's necessary to uh, continue to write books? For me, what I have done is actually shifted over blogs. Uh, Because I am a researcher, I have found that the media really appreciates when I deliver to them more timely topics. And so I usually deliver actually four blogs a year to the media. And I am uh, rewarded uh, actually greatly, usually secure around 200 interviews every year with either TV or radio shows wanting to understand this new contemporary research. And usually I look at very different types of topics that are impacting companies today, individuals today, when it comes to technology, business, jobs, and women. I think a book is probably needed in the future just because I see everybody promotes the book. Uh, But for me, uh, the blogs just really keep it much more edgy. And I really like being on top of the trends and what's happening. Good. Tracy has agreed to uh, take callers' questions. Uh, Our call-in number is, as usual, 646-595-4916. We'll be able to screen the questions during the commercial breaks. Uh, Tracy, if someone wanted to stay up to date on your blogs, uh, is there a website address that they can go to? Sure. So my website is tracywyland.com with T-R-A-C-E-Y-W-I-L-E-N.com. And of course, I am on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, you know, you name it. I'm, I'm pretty easy to access if you have, if you want to look at any of the speeches or read the blogs or, or just learn about more about what I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the uh, biggest upcoming trend or wave in, in, the, in the world of technology that's going to affect us in business? You know, I think from a career point of view that, you know, I was reading some research that by 2020, every job will have a technology component. And I think people really need to embrace that because many of us have been working perhaps in the same company for a long time and may have not realized that the world is really shifting and that it's really important for us to make sure that we take advantage of learning technology so that we can always stay relevant and employable. You know, there was a statistic out just last week that people like ourselves are projected to live now to 100 years old, and that babies born today will probably live to 150. Well, that means a whole different landscape for anyone running a company because you'll have so many more generations in your workforce but for us individually, because many of us will be working 60, 70, or 80 plus years, which means that we have to really start thinking about careers and multiple careers, where in the past it was just one job for life. And I think that's sort of catching on right now, but I think a lot of people haven't really embraced that, and I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier for younger generations to embrace it than older. Uh, I, I've noticed that, you know, that book, uh, Who Moved My Cheese, uh, is very apropos, extremely apropos, because people don't like to change. They like things to stay the way they were, and they want to go back to the way they were. 
And in many instances, it'll never go back to uh, using a typewriter to write a book. Yes, and I think you're bringing up a very good point that we have shifted. We have shifted from the classical world to a digital world. And many of us actually grew up in the classical, and so we haven't realized that this happened. Um, and so a lot of a lot of times it doesn't happen until maybe our own company has a transition, and then we're faced with having to find a new job. And then in finding a new job, we start to see, oh, there's, you know, electronic job boards. And when I look at the jobs, they all have a technology requirement, you know, and, and so I think, you know, if you are working and make sure that you continue to embrace technology in your industry and field so that you can keep, keep up to date with it. Good. Uh, we're going to be back after we listen to a uh, Sandler tactic. Today we're going to be listen, listening to Sandler tactic number 14. Sandler tactic closing. Nick had just been hired, and as of yet, he had not been sent out to sales training. If it weren't for the two guys that called in sick, Nick would have never been on the floor. But there he was, with only the most basic of information that he was supposed to use to sell. Hi, said the prospect coming up to Nick. I'm interested in that gray one over there. Nick was in a panic, and before he could help himself, he blurted out, Oh, that gray one over there? That's good, I guess. Yeah, it's good. Been looking for that for a while. Once again, Nick found his mouth working independently of his brain. I guess you really must not need it since you've been looking for it for a while. Well, responded the prospect, now that you mention it, I really do need it. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, said Nick, then you're not really sure? The prospect just stared at Nick for a moment and turned and looked at the gray one. Nick had no idea what to do next, so he found himself just standing there sort of like a dummy. Tell you what, said the prospect, I'll take it. You'll take it? Asked Nick, astonished. Definitely. My mind's made up. After the customer had left, Nick decided that as soon as he got that sales trading, he'd know exactly what to do. He'd never feel like a dummy again. So the result. With any, with any luck and enough time, Nick will learn that professional salespeople do exactly what the neophyte salesperson does, but they do it on purpose. And when the two ailing salespeople return, they'll be blamed on beginner's luck. Nick succeeded in this case because he stumbled into the way to let the prospect close himself. Nick did not get in the way of the prospect. The Sandler rule in play here is it's okay to be not okay on purpose. And as a dummy, Nick didn't know the features and benefits. Therefore, he had to rely on the prospect. When the prospect discovers they want to buy, it's a lot easier to sell. Selling is a discovery process by the prospect. Features and benefits, great presentations, may make the salespeople feel real good, but they won't necessarily close the sale. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Tracy Weiland. Uh, Tracy, uh, why don't you tell our listeners, uh, as a speaker, how you go to market? How do you develop your business? Sure. So um, as a speaker in my own business, uh, the, the strategy is actually quite similar as what we did when I was in the corporate business in a sales overlay organization. I'm basically B2B, which is business to business. Um, I need to be able to find people who actually are seeking a business speaker or a technology speaker, or in my case, a speaker on employment and women's trends as well. And that's usually a very tight group of people. They're either event planners, they are executives in firms, they are, uh, you know, usually on the sales side, quite frankly, or marketing side. Uh, and then in the education sector, uh, it might be someone who runs large education conferences. 
So there's very specific titles that I need to contact. Unlike a consumer business where uh, you're constantly using different channels to reach everyone, whether it's to buy, you know, a consumer product or service. So mine is highly targeted. So I actually have to go directly after my prospect, uh, which means I have to make decisions on do I use direct email marketing? Do I want to use phone systems? Do I, you know, is there a social media that would get me to my decision maker? So it's it's a little different than someone who's uh, promoting consumer products and services. So does that mean you're actually making cold calls? Uh, I do electronic. I do advanced digital marketing. So yes, those are cold calling email. Um, mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, we found that email marketing is very effective uh, because people are not put on the spot, but they can look at the material. Because uh, usually in my case, they have to look at a lot of uh, items on my website, which is speech clips. They want to look mm -hmm. at my blogs, they want the books, they want TV and radio samples. And so that gives them the flexibility, but uh, we do follow up. We do follow up. So you send an email first and then you make a telephone call. Either a telephone call or we have a series of follow-up contacts uh, that we do. There's a primary A list that uh, warrants a phone call. Uh, and then there's groups that are like to look at the materials, but they don't want to be bothered, which we have figured out over time. And that group is really a, a, like a, a digital or email marketing follow-up, and it could be four weeks later or eight weeks later. Mm -hmm. So you, you drip on them. Excuse me? Well, we have, to be very, yeah, we have to be very careful in marketing because the decision maker um, either has a need or they don't. And that's sort of what happens in the speaking industry is people have conferences or they mm -hmm. have a need in the organization. And if you time it to when they need it, then it's a pretty quick close. If you're off the cycle, then we have to find out when is the cycle. And then we have a series. I basically have different, different you know, methods that I can time out when to return. So it could be actually one year out. Um, so repetitive uh, callbacks or follow-up emails are pretty much useless because their planning cycle is really one year out. Because conferences, let's face it, they usually only happen once a year. And uh, any kind of internal speaking, it, it only really occurs once, you know, unless they ask you mm -hmm. to come back in for a workshop, which I have done, or to support sales and speak on their behalf as a keynote speaker, as a sponsored keynote speaker. But in general, in this world, it's usually just the one, one time, and then that's it, and you have to find new prospects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Uh, in, in your world, uh, do you do you have a unique marketing advantage that you, that you bring? I do. Um, I think a lot of people are still um, joining speakers bureaus, which are good. Um, I think they're joining professional associations for speakers, which I think is good. Uh, but in addition to those things, I, I do go direct. Uh, and I do go out of my way to find people who are looking for speakers, uh, who their business is to find good speakers, and I bring myself to their attention and try to create uh, interest in me as a, someone that they would like to have at their conference. And I'm not sure if all speakers go to that nth degree. I think a lot of people join the bureaus, join the groups, and actually pay money to have other people promote them. And I, I bypass that and go direct. And it's much more efficient 
for me to go that path. And a lot of that is due to the technology that that I'm comfortable with to do that. Mm-hmm. I would believe it would be more effective as well as efficient. Um, again, uh, for our listeners, if you have a question for Tracy, uh, you can call in on 646-595-4916 and we'll be able to handle the calls during the uh, the commercial break. Uh, so, Tracy, how many years have you been a uh, professional speaker? So, um, I had the privilege of starting at Cisco as a speaker in, in the sales overlay group. And so, that mm-hmm. was really, my goodness, that was probably, I've probably been speaking for 20 years um, because I was uh, their sponsored person who they would send out to speak on either manufacturing topics in the early days. Or in mm-hmm. the later days, I developed with a higher education practice. So the salesperson needed help meeting with or someone to speak from Cisco at a higher education conference, for example, I would be the person that would be sent out. And so I learned over time how to really deliver compelling messages that would support the sales team. And then since then, I've really just continued that path. And the next uh, organization that I developed our expertise was around women and leadership and also around careers. And so I could expand my portfolio of speaking topics. And with that, I expanded the book and the blogs and the research because I think a good speaker should have support material. I am very different than a consumer speaker. You know, that's someone who may talk about um, a life event, uh, you know, someone with a health you know, challenge or someone with an addiction challenge who's done something spectacular in sports. I'm very different from that kind of speaker. I am a a business speaker. And so to be an effective business speaker, you really need to have a substantial body of work or content or research behind you to help support the types of uh, presentations that you make. So I would say I've been speaking probably for over 20 years. Only uh, part as a corporate speaker, and then also as in in the sales in my own. Mm-hmm. And to amplify what you said, that you do a lot of research uh, behind the topics that you're speaking on. I, I do, right? yes. And I think part of that started not only you know that MBA project really started my whole path in research, and I saw the popularity of the books, and actually the readers came back and said do more books on women doing the world. It timed out very well because I was pursuing my doctorate in, on, in evenings and on the weekends. And part of pursuing your doctorate degree is there's two expectations. One is that you continue your research. And so I made each of the courses really become a research project, and that research project became a book. And the book was uh, on whatever I was doing or wherever I was traveling at that time. And so the series continued. The second piece of you know, pursuing a doctorate, is there's an expectation actually that you teach. And I myself, because I always went to school in the evenings and on weekends, I suggested that I also teach adults evenings and on the weekends. And so I taught BA classes, MBA classes, and sat on doctoral dissertations because I felt that it was really important that people who are going to school we're interacting with people who are working so that we could bring those two topics together because that's really what careers are about today. You want to go to school, but you want it to also have a purpose for you and understand the payoff that school will have, whether it's pursuing your BA, your MBA, or a doctor's degree. Good. Uh, in our next segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about leadership, and I know you've written uh, a, a Perspectives on 
leadership in the workplace, workplace leaders, uh, which has been a favorite topic uh, on our show. Uh, again, if anyone wants to call in with a question for Tracy, the number is uh, 646-595-4916. And we're going to listen to a San LaRule, which was right in front of me a second ago. Here it is. San LaRule number 23. Uh, when you find the bomb, defuse it. This is Pete Brown with Sandler Training, and I'm here to speak with you about rule number 23. The way to get rid of a bomb is defuse it before it blows up. Have you or your organization ever lost a sale because of a problem you could have dealt with earlier in the sales process? Sadly today, millions of salespeople and sales organizations are sitting on bombs, and they don't have to. Why deal with that anxiety? If you have a problem or a situation potentially with one of your services or one of your offerings, You need to bring that up before the prospect does in your sales process. Let's think of an example, local delivery. If I knew that I was talking to a prospect that I thought local delivery would be a need they would have and I didn't offer it, how would I address that? And more importantly, when would I want to? After we'd consummated the sale only to find out that we couldn't deliver on time? Of course not. That's anxiety. Let's take the stress out and address that earlier. How about an example of if we were in role play? Bill. Local service is something that very often in this market is asked for, and we don't provide it. Is that going to be a problem? Bill would come back most likely and say, Pete, it is. And I would say, makes sense. So, Bill, should we talk about that now to make sure that if that is going to be an issue, we deal with it because it might not be a Pete, we should Bill, get stuck. Simple role play, but the example is let's get that out on because by doing anything other than that, the truth is we are not being professional, and certainly within Sandler's work, we're not being buyer-sell. Because think of the benefit. First and foremost, you're more relaxed. That 800-pound gorilla is off your chest. Secondly, you can determine, along with that prospect, very early if you're going to continue to invest time in the selling process. Because if you need local service and they don't have it, as that example alluded, you're done. No pain, no sin. And then finally, third, whether you realize it or not, that prospect will look at you very differently than the other salespeople or sales leaders that they encountered. Because you were willing to be professional defuse that bomb early. Why don't we defuse the bomb? Well, sales leaders, you need to look in the mirror as you coach your teams and recognize there's two fears going on if that is not happening. The fear of losing a sale, the fear of dealing with the rejection, the comfort As leaders, you need to help your organizations deal with both of these. But think about it. How can you go about changing this behavior when historically it's not been? So my suggestion would be, think of three potential bombs that you would need to defuse in the process. It could be creditworthy. It could be financing. It could be local service. It could be delivery. It could be pricing. And then develop three questions around each of those bombs to be able to address early in your sales process with the prospect. And then ask those questions. You can't lose. You don't have. Remember rule 23. The way to get rid of a bomb, defuse it before it blows up. This is Pete Brown with Sandler Training. Good selling. I wanted to invite each one of our listeners to our next business leaders workshop titled 10 questions you should ask your salespeople. This is a program for companies that want to encourage their salespeople to execute the top 10 behaviors necessary for success. The business leaders workshop is scheduled for Wednesday, November 16th from 8 a.m. to 9:30. Here are a couple of ideas of things that we're going to cover in the workshop questions for your salespeople. 
What type of prospecting activity have you been doing for new lead generation? What type of relationship building have you been doing with current clients and prospects? Who have you disqualified as prospects are never going to make a purchase from? Who have you qualified by determining the prospect's compelling reason to buy, willingness to make an investment, and their decision-making process? When are you planning to make final presentations, and how have you matched your solution to the prospect's pain? These are only some of the questions we're going to address in the workshop. In these monthly workshops, we address real issues which degrade a company and individual's performance. You'll learn some of the proven Sandler solutions, strategic insights that come from 25 years coaching and selling experience. You'll find these solutions exclusively from strategic sales experts. We're the only Sandler organization that can both increase your sales and decrease your taxes. That's going to be Wednesday the 16th of November from 8 to 9.30 at 3161 Dixie Highway, Suite E on the second floor in Erlanger, Kentucky. For further information or to make a reservation, call 513-753-9400, extension 102, or email mike.roth at sandler.com. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Dr. Tracy Weiland. Uh, Tracy, uh, since our leader, our Rule today was about a bomb. Perhaps you can uh, talk about uh, a leadership tip that you would like to give to other CEOs or sales professionals who happen to be listening to the show. Sure. So um, let me give for the CEOs um, a tip, and it's a three-part tip. Number one is hire people who are smarter than yourself. Um, I think that's really important because that's how your organization is going to grow. Um, it's very easy to find people who aren't as smart as you, um, who will do what you want them to do. But I think you really want true growth. You have to reach out there and find top-notch people. The second part of that is find people different from yourself. Um, We live in a very diverse world, and yet a lot of people fall into the pattern of looking for a certain type of person that that is really a replicate of themselves. And I think that you'll find you'll be much more creativeness, thinking, and much more growth if you look for a diverse group. And then finally, I think you need to give high-quality people who you hire stretch goals because everyone can really accomplish things that they may not even be aware of. And I've always used the practice of keeping my people who are very smart, very diverse, busy, and always give them a stretch goal that I knew that they could accomplish even if they didn't. And that's how I think that you really ensure continued business growth, because let's face it, the company that you're running today, you don't want it to look like the next year. You don't want it to look the same. You want it to look completely different because of the outstanding talent that you've brought into your firm to help you grow it into the next phase. Mm. That's that's a, that's a good tip, a three-parter. Uh, for salespeople, I'll give you a tip for salespeople because I have been in sales for a long time, and I laughed when you said, do you cold call? You have to cold call. You absolutely have to cold call. And I know that when I started in sales, I hated it. And I remember I used to hang a mirror in front of myself and remind myself to get on the phone, smile, look at the mirror, and accept rejection. And it just is part of the business. And at the end of the day, if you really enjoy sales, which I did, you know, you'll find that relationships will develop and revenues come, but really cold calling is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. 
in selling, you, you, you have to find people who are ready to buy. And working business to business, you never know that. Uh, exactly. You know, we have a client in the roofing business who spends over a million dollars a year for radio and television. And radio and TV ads find the people who are ready to buy a new roof or had a, a damage to the roof from a, a recent storm. Uh, but it's far better to find people the other way. Uh, here at Sandler today, we use the uh, connect and sell system, Lightning. And uh, in 45 minutes today, I dialed about 120 people, had uh, seven conversations, and left about 35 voicemail messages with instructions to call me back between uh, 5 and 6 p.m. on my way home tonight, and five or six people will. So it's a, it's a constant uh, bit, uh, battle finding people who's who have decided that they need to solve their problem. Those are the yes. best prospects. Yes, exactly. That's what, that's how I would think of it. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I said, yeah, I can't be passive. I have to be an active salesperson. But in my mind, what I had to really say to myself is I'm actually helping people solve problems. They may not know that they have these problems, but they won't know it unless I tell them and how I'm going to solve, solve it, whether it was the product I was selling or the service or the solution. And um, so I really hand it to salespeople because I think it's a very vibrant career and it's a very exciting career if you follow some of the methodologies that you had mentioned. Good. Uh, uh, Tracy, uh, we have a, a rule here at Sandler that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong or don't work. And the way you solve a complex problem is by coming up with a complex solution. Uh, perhaps you could share with our listeners a complex problem that, that you encountered in your business and the equally complex solution you used to solve it. Sure. So I'm going to give you the example of when I transitioned uh, from one firm, I was recruited by another firm to set up really a new sales overlay organization for them, this thought leadership organization. It's almost replicating what I had come from in the previous business. And I wanted to do it differently because I felt that the new organization needed to have more robust research. And I think that comes from the academic side of me. I felt that we had to have talent, not just in one building, in one location, but I had to really bring in this diverse workforce of very smart people. So the complexity was that my solution was I needed a virtual organization. And a virtual organization is when you find experts who work for you throughout the world or around the United States because they're exceptionally good at what they do. They're comfortable mm -hmm. at working at their expertise from home. And so in order to solve that problem, I basically had to recruit heavily, find these people, a lot of them with PhDs and analytical skills, and then connect them using the internet. So in essence, nobody went to an office, everyone worked at home. And in fact, many were 1099, which means they had their own company because they, were, they had the confidence and expertise to really run their own businesses. That was a very different way of organizing a business unit. In fact, many people just were staring at me wondering how you can do it. Well, as you said, it's very complex. Your measurements are very different than seeing people day to day. You actually have to manage by objectives. You have to set these goals and let people um, use the tools, the technology tools, to really collaborate with each other. We had formalized meetings, but they were on Skype instead of in a face-to-face -face room. And we sure. had to use very different techniques to really build this organization. So I think that is a complex problem 
that I solved, and I solved it very efficiently and very differently than other people had done in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking to someone this week who had a uh, virtual digital agency, uh, same concept. And the problem that, that this person presented was that uh, it was difficult to make sure that his tasks were at the top of the list of the, the contractors. Hmm. Yeah, so so this is how I would approach that is you have to give people a compelling reason to want to contribute to something. And I remember I sat down with the, the state virtually and asked them, was there anything that they really wanted to do while they were working in sales overlay organization developing thought leadership? And wouldn't you know that most of them had a goal of writing a book? And they thought that they would never in their life be able to write a book until they retired. And I said that that was nonsense because books are very effective tools for the sales And they, what a great gift to provide a salesperson with a thought leadership bound into a book that they can give to their customers. And in the B2B community, that was, you know, a very useful tool. So we came together and we designed a book called The Women's Lead, Modern Day Leadership Techniques in the Workforce. And basically, that created the motivation because each person had a role, whether it was the librarian research or the writers, you know, doing the writing or the editors editing the book or the graphic artists did the, the, um, the graphics, the cover. But it was really a work of love. And so I really had no problem in keeping people motivated because I really had to tap into things that they wanted to accomplish while they were working and, and just help, help the path of showing that we could take this product and make it very useful to the sales force. So I have a pointed question here. How many hours did it, does it take you on average to write a book? So that's all about goal setting. So what I used to do, I'm a big goal setter because the CEO once said to me, I asked him, so back, pardon me? We are a big goal-setting uh, company here at Sandler. Yes, and I asked the CEO when he was age 29, how did you become a CEO by age 29? And I remember he pulled out of his wallet a little crinkled-up piece of paper and had all little squiggles on it, but it had ages and pictures. And he said, Tracy, the way that you get to be CEO by age 39 is you write it down. And so what I do is every year I create um, really a, a very simple timeline for myself of what I want to accomplish. And then I check in with myself each quarter to see if I'm on track. So for me, a book is something that I would position at the beginning of each year and say, by this time next year, next January, I will have written the book and have sent it to the publisher. And then it was up to me each quarter to say, okay, what do I need to do to get to that goal? And I really divided it down. Uh, An academic business book used to be a requirement of 200 pages. Okay, so if I take 200 pages and divide it into 10 chapters, each chapter needs 20 pages. Okay, so how many chapters can I do in quarter one, two, three, and four? And that's how I would set the goal. So for me, it was really, if I could develop a book in a year, then I knew it would come out the following year. And if I could keep up that systematically, I knew that I would always have a book. Yeah, I'd love to hear your comments in a future week. Uh, Last week, we had a fellow on named Mitch Levy, who has created a system to write a book in eight to nine hours. I I think that's fantastic. You know, now today, I'd be curious what kind of book and how long it is. Um, Most of the publishers are telling me that today you can write a book uh, that's 100 pages or less. 
which I think is a relief uh, for, for, for me. Uh, yeah, number two is, is it researched, right? Is it a consumer book or, you know, what kind of book is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a lot of content uh, pre-curated uh, yeah. that you pick from. And uh, although I haven't uh, tried it yet, I, I definitely like the idea of being able to turn out a book in eight hours. Sure, but it also has to be something that somebody would need, and I'm sure that he's figured that out, and I think that's, that's fantastic. And then actually then it, that it sells. <laughs> right, right. And uh, for our listeners, just go back in the archive one week, Mitch Levy, and you'll, you'll hear how uh, he, using the web, has uh, enabled a way for an author to write a self-published book in eight to nine hours. He's, he said he had a couple of people that have already done it. Um, again, if you have any questions for Tracy, this will be the last opportunity uh, for you. The call-in number is 646-595-4916. We're going to listen to a, uh, a couple of uh, Sandler commercials. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. Or email mike.roth at sandler.com. Finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Tracy uh, Weiland. Uh, Tracy, uh, why don't you uh, share with our listeners what motivates you to make tough decisions? Uh, From a business point of view, uh, it really gets down to money and efficiency and ROI. Um, I think that's always a very difficult point for anyone who's a company, anyone, a division or a business unit. Um, that companies are in the business, you know, to make business. You know, that's how people get paychecks. That's how people get benefits. Um, and if a company's product or service is not making a profit anymore, then, you know, then you need to really think about how to, what needs to change. How do we become more efficient? Uh, sometimes it's by deploying different products or services. Sometimes it's by changing a strategy. 
Sometimes it's by using different kinds of technology. And so I think that that sort of, you know, you have to sit down. I have to sit down with myself. You know, if I have, I noticed that the speaking this year, certain speeches were lower uh, in sales than other speeches. And I have to, you know, really have a good think about it and say, maybe it's time for me to change uh, my offerings or expand my offerings. And so when I asked people, what are they really looking for? They said, you know, the world is starting to move through workshops. Uh, We're looking for skill building workshops. And so I had to start to think about what are the skills that I could help someone with and really expand speaking business. And I came up actually with two. One is public speaking, obviously, how to give speeches, presentations, and be an expert panelist. And also media training, right? How do you, with you know, I sat there and said, I'm on the other end of the media interview. Um, has anyone given training on what it's like to pre- prepare for a radio show or an interview with CNN or Fox? Um, and so those are the new offerings that I will be bringing out in 2017 to help really see how the business will grow or shift based on the customer feedback. Oh, those are good ideas. Uh, now, uh, I guess it was last year you won the award for being the most influential woman in the Bay Area in business. Uh, from the San Francisco uh, Business Times. Uh, what did you have to do to win that award? So I have been very lucky over the years to get a number of awards in the Bay Area. Um, a lot of it really stemmed from the fact that I was in business, you know, in working in Silicon Valley um, for, for firms and doing a lot of outreach at the same time, uh, whether it was teaching or I did a lot of pro bono speaking at that time for women in technology conferences. Uh, the companies that I worked with send me out and really sponsor me to really help women in technology and leadership. And as a result of that, I had got re- really received a number of awards uh, for my outreach, for the books, the speeches, to mentor women, to do a lot, a lot of things. Because at that time, you have to remember, Mike, there weren't a lot of women in technology, particularly in what we call the, you know, the hard side, which is manufacturing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, actually even sales is considered hard in engineering. And so, you know, when you are a female's role, you almost have this extra added opportunity to really help other women see the potential. And what excited me about all of my roles was really pretty simple. It was international travel. Ever since I was very young, I loved traveling the world. And it's probably because I have so many relatives who live overseas. And so I was very attracted to roles that brought me overseas into international situations and meeting new people. And those just happened to be the roles in, you know, manufacturing and operations types of roles. Mm-hmm. I understand completely. I'm just the opposite. I, I'll shy away from getting on an airplane to do a project. Uh, one of the reasons I'm in the sandwich business here for 25 years is I like being here in one place. Yes, yes. And I think... If you just understand where your uh, your your preferences are, number one, and but also that what you excel at and what you enjoy, um, you know, I just found myself bundling the jobs in very unique ways. So it was a, a very logical extension because I was traveling all over the world for these as their thought leader speaker was really just continue that on on my own. Um, mm-hmm. And so to me, it was you know, you just figuring that out and how you know what makes successful. Good. You've done a lot of work with uh, women's groups. Uh, I'd like you to give uh, the men in business, the men in manufacturing, the men who are developing new software companies, 
a piece of advice uh, that, that they can use uh, to help them grow their businesses? Or should they participate in uh, in women's groups? Well, you know, the research that I did on women in leadership, um, we actually studied both men and women business. And we found that younger generations really don't have this role viewing leadership, you know, men and women. We actually found that actually age 50 and under really didn't have any concerns about gender. And so I think the whole dialogue has really shifted today to generation. So my message to men or just business leaders in general is that you're, you're dealing with a very diverse workforce, whether it's women or gender differences, whether it's uh, generational, whether it's, you know, uh, background, um, that really makes a much more robust, uh, creative team. And I think it's really important that people really see the opportunities that they can to build organizations in ways that they can embrace extreme diversity, you know, or perverse, you know, pervasive diversity in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly there are four or five generations in the workforce now and uh, lots of different uh, ethnic diversities. Uh, and depending on the industry, you may see it a, a little differently. It's certainly in the IT industry, we see more uh, Asian Indian people, Japanese people, even Chinese people than we see in a, uh, a manufacturing company in uh, the Cincinnati area that manufactures brake shoes or transmissions. We, we still do a lot of heavy manufacturing here in Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, so in, uh, in, in closing up the, uh, the show here, Tracy, uh, there, there, are, there are key components of growth, uh, people, process, or strategy. Uh, can you give our listeners your perspective on each one of those people, process, and strategy? Sure. So I think to be an effective leader, uh, when it comes to people, you need to find really good people. And I think people underestimate the interview process and how critical it is to really have you and your team interview people so that you can make the best match the opening that you have in your organization. I think when it comes to process, people also underestimate training. You know, people cannot perform their jobs if they don't know what they're doing. And I think training is imperative for all of us. And it is very time. But the third one is the strategy. People cannot operate if they don't see you having a vision and a strategy for the organization because people are at their best when they know where they're, where they're going to today, but also the possibilities for them tomorrow. You know, and I think that is a message for people in, whether it's technology or in masculine organizations, is that a lot of times I was very good in sales. I was very good in manufacturing, but no one ever told me. And I think if you lean over to a person and you see them doing a great job, make sure that you tell them and also give them the roadmap for the future in your industry or in your firm, because people will really rally for the opportunity and really to support someone with a vision and strategy. Mm-hmm. Vision and the leadership is one of those critical things uh, and uh, the drive and ambition that a good leader uh, can instill in an organization can take it from uh, five employees to a billion dollars. We've seen several examples of that, uh, both in Silicon Valley and in other areas. Uh, Tracy, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show today. And uh, Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth.com at rothconsulting.net. 
or call Mike at 513-753-9400.